0: Welcome to episode 42 of the QuietMark podcast. I'm your host, Simon Gosling, and I'm the CMO at QuietMark. And QuietMark is the independent global certification program associated with the UK Noise Abatement Society Charitable Foundation. Through scientific testing and assessment, QuietMark identifies the quietest products in multiple categories spanning many sectors, including home appliances and technology, building sector materials, and commercial sector products. It's June 2022, as I record this introduction, and almost a year ago, in fact on well-listening day July the 18th last year, Quiet Parks International awarded Hampstead Heath as Europe's first urban quiet park. And on that day, I jumped on my Brompton and cycled up to Hampstead Heath to see the certification being presented, and was honoured to pick up a certification on behalf of Quiet Mark and the Noise Abatement Society, which Quiet Parks International kindly awarded to our organisations in recognition of the work that we do to restore the value of quiet back into society and it was just before that day last year that i first became aware of quiet parts international through a really interesting article on afar.com by Catherine legrave and that feature was an interview with gordon hempton who is the founding partner of quiet parts international and in it gordon says my father used to say quiet that's so highbrow quiet is so trivial Someday we can just fix the noise pollution and it will be quiet. Quiet doesn't rank up there with endangered species, breeding programs, habitat preservation, global warming, nuclear waste and toxic cleanups. And you want me to pay attention to the need to preserve quiet? Yes, Hempton says quietly, because when we save quiet, we save everything else. And those interactions with Quiet Parks International last year were brought back to mind in the preparation of this introduction of our guest on today's show, Nigel Burton. Nigel Burton is a Director of Acoustics at Temple. Temple, of course, are leaders in the field of built and natural environments and creating sustainable futures. By forming inclusive alliances with their clients, associates, other environment, planning and sustainability experts, they make a meaningful environmental and social difference together and offer an authentic, unrivalled service. They're proud to be an SME with a reputation for excellence, working on some of the UK's most complex infrastructure, planning and social programs. Collaboration, respect and inclusivity are at the core of their work. They have an inquisitive, engaging approach and bring important insights, experience and scientific know-how to deliver the best practicable environmental option consistent with sustainable goals. Their aim always is to accelerate sustainable action and positive change for their clients, communities and the planet. They partner with others who share the same ethos and commitment to the environment. And on Nigel's LinkedIn, it says, Hello there, I'm Nigel, and I'm an Acoustician Noise Guy. He goes on to say that he's a director with Temple in London and that he's been a member of the Institute of Acoustics since 1997, through which he became a chartered engineer. He has experience of environmental acoustics, but has most recently focused on building and architectural acoustics. He's an active member of the Institute of Acoustics and is also a board member of the Association of Noise Consultants. So welcome to the show, Nigel. Thanks, Simon. Thank you so much for taking the time to join us. How are you today? I'm
1: good, thank you. How are you?
0: I'm very well, thanks a lot. And where are you today?
1: I'm based in North London, so I'm working from home today.
0: I spoke in the introduction there about uh, what you do and what Temple does, but there's no one really better qualified to tell us who they are and what they do at Temple than yourself. So tell us all about it.
1: So Temple's a, a, an SME. You were about 180 staff now. Um, having merged a couple of companies within our group last year. The business has been around for, this is our 25th year this year, so we'll be celebrating later in the year. We've worked on projects originally. We worked on HS1, the Channel Tunnel Rail Link. Uh, We're doing work on HS2. We did work on the Shard, Northern Line Extension, Crossrail, um, and even do some work for Transport for the North. Um, across the business, we've got a division which looks at infrastructure, we're involved in planning, advice, EIA, technical services, which is where noise and vibration, air quality and environmental management and consent sits, which is where I sit. And we've also got a, a side of the business which looks at ecology and arboriculture.
0: Excellent. And looking at the website, as I am, as, as we speak there, certainly words like net zero and ecology, and it has a very green presence, very leafy. Um, I will say, you know, nevertheless, the sort of projects that you're talking about, there, are amazing projects, but they must be disruptive to nature and uh, use a lot of materials. So you there's definitely a drive from um, Temple to show its green credentials and its uh, desire to be healthy for the planet. Um, what's the balance there? How would you describe that?
1: It is a challenge, but I think you know we're, we're trying to help those types of projects minimise their environmental impact as much as possible. So, for example, on HS2, uh, some of the work that the noise team have done with our ecology team was on a particular project looking at um, bats on a particular stretch of HS2 where there was concern about bats flying across the route of HS2. So a tunnel was put in. Or was proposed to be put in, but then it was, which will be fine for bats flying over the top of the tunnel. But there was concern around what if the bats fly down either end of the tunnel?
0: Mm.
1: So we've looked at the use of acoustic deterrence in that case, either end, which will stop the bats flying in. And this has been uh, tested on, on the local bat habitat in that particular area and, and seems to work. And it was something that, that was put in as a, as a specific requirement of natural England that there can't be any bat deaths. So that's, that's kind of where we, we kind of sit ourselves as trying to, to minimise the impact of the work that we're
0: doing, yeah. That's really interesting. You talk about an acoustic deterrent for the bats, something that prevented them from entering the tunnel. So what was that exactly? So the acoustic deterrents
1: are they, they, the the ones that were looked at in that particular case were from I think from the United States where they're used for uh, wind turbines to try and uh, minimise bird strikes and bat strikes on on wind turbines. So it was just yeah putting a, effectively a, a very high frequency speaker array ar- around either end of the the tunnel.
0: It's interesting we're talking at this time, Nigel, because in the progress of uh, the Quiet Mark podcast, where we've been talking about well-being design and acoustics role in well-being and design, we also had an episode last year, which was called Sustainable September. Many of the products that QuietMark certifies, like Candine flooring, for example, or wood up wall panels, uh, Baswa uh, plaster systems, they go to great lengths to show their green Ecological uh, credentials, you know, they get certifications and so on. And so I'd like to know, uh, you know, well, you're called the noise guy, aren't you, uh, within Temple? And I would love to know more about your role there and also about your specification of products in your drive to be sustainable. Do you really go out of your way to choose products which can show their sustainable credentials?
1: So I guess I guess I'm known as as noise guy on on LinkedIn just because it explains to people what I do better <laughs> than acoustic consultant or acoustician at times. Right. Um in terms of sustainable products and things um I'm seeing a big drive from architects now asking for that and for me it's not just about how low carbon a product is it's more about the longevity of it so there's a lot of work being done uh, I think it's by Elementor who, who've looked at, for example, if you were to look at a, a brand new building, yes, operationally, it'll be lower carbon than perhaps a, an older building. But similarly, if you were actually to look at the whole life cycle of refurbishing an existing building rather than building a new building, it's far, far better to refurbish than to knock down and, and build brand new. So I suppose an example of where... I'm, I'm looking at it uh, recently. I'm working on a project where we're doing an office uh, base build, but out, out to cut a fit out. And the architects were keen. We don't have ceilings in the in the uh, the building, which would normally be useful for acoustic absorption. Uh, so we were looking at some alternative examples of what what we could do to provide acoustic absorption, and the architects. We're keen not to put that in, not because they they don't value acoustics. What we're going to do is come up with a scheme that the tenants can have installed if they want it. We don't want to put it in and then have a tenant come in and rip it out. So it's just kind of thinking a bit laterally about the use of the use of products as
0: well. Tell me more about that relationship of uh, you being an acoustician and working with architects who tend to approach things, or tell me I'm wrong, but tend to approach things from a more sort of visual perspective. Do Is there sometimes a tug of war that exists between the acoustician and the architect in achieving buildings that work well? Are you sometimes suggesting products are installed that they're like, oh, but that's going to ruin the visual aspects of this, or or is it quite harmonious?
1: I think it dep- th- It's certainly changed over time. There've been projects I've worked on in the past where perhaps the aesthetics would have been looked at before we were involved, and then it's almost like I describe it as goalkeeping. It's it's me then going in and having to change things and upsetting people by you, you think you've got it all fixed, but I'm saying well you need to you need to add absorption here. You need to think about sound insulation so really the the earlier we can get involved the better we can uh sort of provide more uh, better value to say early on have you thought about these things just just to just to make you aware we ought to think about some
0: acoustic absorption in say an atrium space are you seeing more of a trend towards acousticians being brought in earlier with lessons being learnt or or is it still most buildings do it too late only after the horse has bolted and they think, oh my goodness, this isn't working, we need to fix this?
1: I think I think it's probably getting about there now, actually. Uh, there's very few... I don't know if it's that people have been burnt in the past by leaving it too late. Um, I mean, I often think about this, there's times when uh, quantity surveyors have said to me, the acoustics on a project are costing a fortune, or we've allowed this much for the acoustic treatment. And it's like well if you if you look at it holistically and you get us involved early enough the acoustic treatment is just part of the the design so it isn't really trying to fix anything it's just there as part of the inherent design of the space and i guess it's it's tricky because architecture would would traditionally be based on aesthetics but equally the if, if a space doesn't work acoustically and people don't want to spend time in it, then that hasn't really met the brief.
0: In the introduction I spoke, I read from your LinkedIn, which I'll quote it again, it says, I have experience in environmental acoustics, but have most recently focused on building and architectural acoustics. So in layman's terms, how would you define the differences between environmental building and architectural acoustics, please?
1: I would probably lump building
0: and architectural
1: acoustics into into one. But environmental acoustics could arguably be anything outside a building. But having said that, there's crossover when you get involved with, say, uh, external noise ingress into buildings. So thinking of road traffic noise or rail traffic noise or aircraft, we need to think about how that impacts on people who are sleeping inside or working inside. So there's a bit of a crossover between the two.
0: And so continuing from there, Nigel, you're also a board member of the Association of Noise Consultants, and that's a trade association for acoustic, noise and vibration consultancy practices in the UK. So tell me more about the work that they do, please. So the ANC, the way I look at it, is the Institute of
1: Acoustics. We as individuals are members, whereas the Association of Noise Consultants is... Uh, as you say, a trade, a trade association effectively for noise consultancies for the businesses themselves. Um, in terms of CPD and learning things as you go, I've, n- I've never tried to work out how many years of experience there must be in the meetings that we hold, <laughs> but it must be well into the hundreds, if not thousands, um, I think we've got, I can't remember quite how many members we've got now, but it's, it's well over 100 member companies. But we also get involved in things, writing, not not legislation, but guides where perhaps legislation hasn't been there in the past or isn't isn't clearly defined. Or we even look at things like um, where British standards, I'm thinking of British Standard 4142, for example, the Association of Noise Consultants wrote, a guide to how to interpret certain elements of that standard. Um, more recently, uh, late late twenty twenty uh, late twenty nineteen, the Association of Noise Consultants produced the Acoustics, Ventilation, and Overheating Guide, uh, Residential Design Guide, which looked at probably for the first time in the UK what the impact of overheating um, in residential is when you mitigate it by opening the windows, because we can design the external envelope fantastically in terms of high performance glazing and even to some extent, ventilation openings. But if you, if you need to throw the windows open just to cool down your, your bedroom at night and it's noisy outside, that's potentially going to affect your sleep. Now, What's come out of that is more recently is um, approved document O, which, which looks at overheating, which also has, uh, well, I guess, Avo was guidance, whereas approved document O is requirements. ADO approved document O, has requirements for um, a limit on the noise level inside bedrooms at night. So that's coming into... It's been. It's already been published. It was published at the end of last year, but it comes into play, I think, in June this year. So that's a, an interesting development in the in the industry.
0: On episode 30 of this podcast, Nigel, uh, we had a guest, Adam Cossey, who's a partner at Hawkins Brown, and he said on that show uh, something that I'd like to get your response to. He said that over the past 30 years, there have been several trends that have become embedded into our way of thinking and designing. Such examples would be sustainability, access, and inclusivity, which at first were considered nice to have bolt-on accessories, but are now an essential part in the design of a building. And he said that the well-being trend is still in the accessory phase, but is without question increasingly becoming an essential factor when it comes to building design. And acoustics, of course, is a key part of that. How would you respond? Do you think uh, well-being's moving from a nice-to-have bolt-on into the essential part of uh, specification? I think it's certainly
1: with the great resignation. I think they describe it as trying to... If you can, if you can work quietly at home, why would you go into an office surrounded by people who are all making noise? So, um, I think, and strike down. I, I was a firm of architects. I heard speak recently about the different ways people are are working now since the pandemic. I think just the design of offices is going to change. I can imagine that there's going to be far less open plan space and far more collaborative space. Perhaps more meeting rooms, and similarly, similarly, it's different having somebody sat next to you having a chat on the phone to them having a chat on a Teams call without a headset, for example, as I've occasionally experienced. <laughs> um, so I think it's uh, I think it's Nigel Osland who I think he's a workplace psychologist who's looked at how people feel about noise in workplaces. And I'm sure it was one of one of the conclusions that he drew or that he he took from his research was that if people found it noisy, they'd just stick their headphones in or they'd go and work somewhere else. Well, that isn't really a sustained what's the point of having an office if people don't want to be there. So I can certainly see acoustics being far more carefully considered to make sure that the environment's um, relaxing engaging and kind of welcoming as to why come into an office when you could just stay at home.
0: So Nigel, we got to know each other on LinkedIn and I've been checking out some of your posts and I loved the one recently because I'm a cinephile. I love going to the cinema and I saw a post that you'd been involved with a Curzon cinema in Kingston. So what were the challenges? What did you do there? It's an interesting one. It's not one that I, I, because I moved company, it's not one that I
1: finished. Okay. But I did a fair amount of the the work on that and it was looking at, they've they've put effectively a new cinema on the roof of the Bental Centre in Kingston, uh, which had obvious challenges with the weight of the building that could, that could be put on the roof. But like a lot of building and architectural projects that I get involved in, I kind of always think of, I can, I can think about it on, me, on the fingers of my hand. <laughs> um, number one is external noise ingress. So thinking, as we spoke about earlier, thinking about train noise or rail noise or road noise. Um, thinking about internal sound insulation, so particularly in cinemas, if you've got a very noisy film in one cinema, in one screen, and you've got a quiet film in the next one, they need to have very, very high sound insulation performance between the screens. So that's looking at things like sprung floating floors, very deep wall constructions, those sorts of things. Uh, Number three is always absorption and surface finishes. So cinemas tend to be relatively uh, acoustically dead. So as you're not colouring the the film soundtrack with the room acoustics itself.
0: Because it's not like a theatre, is it? People often talk about, uh, I went and saw a gig and I love the acoustics in that space, but... With a film, they've gone to all the trouble of doing a film soundtrack and a score. The last thing the, the audio dubbing mixer would want is a, a room that changes the sound of the film.
1: Well, yeah, I mean, historically, for certainly for natural theatre, you would you would not you would want early reflections, and you would want things like you know opera houses and things. You would actually want natural voices to be heard naturally within the space. Whereas with cinema and, and increasingly venues that are used for things like uh, teleconferencing and things, if you can use speech reinforcement, electronics, electric speech reinforcement, you tend to make them a bit more dead than they would have been in the past.
0: What would you say is your greatest hit or one of your greatest hits? The thing that I probably got
1: the most grey hairs and sleepless nights over was um, St Pancras Chambers. So it was uh, the start of my second job in my career. And I think I got thrown in at the deep end. But just seeing, and uh, I guess it comes, kind of comes back to sustainability, you know, a building that at one point was going to be knocked down, the old Midland Grand Hotel at St. Bankerit station. Just being brought back to life was
0: a real privilege to be involved in. I mean, that's a hotel where people are trying to sleep and there's trains going around. It's got all sorts of acoustic challenges there, surely. Um,
1: I don't think it ever been undesignated. I don't think it's been used as a hotel for over 70 years but it was still down as a hotel. So in terms of things like building regs, some of it was going to be brought back in as a hotel. Some of it was going to be uh, new residential. Um, there's a new build element down Midland Road, which is new build hotel. There's hotel rooms that look over the old taxi rank, which is now a sort of bar Uh, reception area yeah that's cold yard
0: isn't it i like it there yeah i mean it's it's
1: there's hotel rooms which look onto the station so i've always thought that when you do a a new build project it's i wouldn't say it's, it's always easy but it's it's slightly easier when you you've got a blank canvas to start with some of the issues we had with things like St Pancras chambers were just trying to find uh find out what the existing constructions were could be challenging so we did a lot of things like acoustic testing to determine what the existing sound insulation was between spaces so we'd know what we needed to do
0: to upgrade it it is said that the pandemic has accelerated a lot of trends what do you think is has been accelerated and what do you think will be happening in the future world of acoustics
1: so I think there's going to be a lot more of this type of thing, you know, teams meetings and Zoom calls and things like that. I think mm. if if there was such a good as such a thing as a good thing from the pandemic, it's that we've really tried these systems far more quickly and sorted the the, the issues out with them far more than we would have done had we not had to. Mm. And I think I think people are learning etiquette of things like using headphones just so you don't get feedback and things through Teams calls. But I think a a biggie for me, I think it worked reasonably well when we were all at home, we were on Teams calls. Mm. It works reasonably well when everybody's in person in a meeting room where we're now seeing a little bit of a a challenge is when you've got half the people on Teams or on Skype or on Zoom and you've got half the people in a room you get an almost different dynamic of if you're dialing in, you can't often hear quite who's speaking or if there's one microphone shared between six or seven people. It's not half as good as it was when you all had your own uh, laptops in front of you. So etiquette around those and more treatment. Um, I was chatting to somebody recently. Some meeting rooms that I've been in that sound not quite great acoustically, when you're in it in person can sound terrible when you're on a Teams call or a Zoom call. So I think a bit more thought about the acoustic treatment within meeting rooms and also uh, the systems that are used. So how to mic up and things like that will we'll need
0: a bit more thought. Do you think it has a sort of an exhaustion effect as well, people spending a lot of time on these team calls with with the, the audio qualities being so variant? Can that lead to tiredness, do you think?
1: I think I've not come across tiredness myself with it, but I think it's certainly there's distractions you can pick up. I was on one recently where somebody joined a meeting late and then you could hear their dog barking in the background and I don't think they realised that they'd left their mic on. So just etiquette around those sorts of things. And we're all still learning, but I'm pleasantly surprised as to how quickly we, we got to grips with it all. And the fact that, Things like the Wi-Fi and the, the internet networks didn't all fall over
0: it was astonishing. And of course, I'm talking to a man who's sitting in a room at home with jigsaw pieces behind you made out. What is that? Polystyrene. What have you got there?
1: So these are some. Uh, it's an acoustic product uh, which they they supply in in big big sheets. That they've actually um, got a, a particular product line where you get eight jigsaw pieces within. Uh, a box that they can send to you, and then you can create almost like a, a little acoustic booth around your laptop if you want to. I tend to have them just on my on my back wall so people can see them, and they're a bit of a talking point. <laughs> but um, I do if I'm if I'm trying to my my room for what is not a particularly large study. It's got all reflective walls, uh, laminate floor, so just getting a bit of absorption in here, I think, I think will help. And I'm still, I'm still trying to work out how to how to make
0: that a bit better. Well, whatever you've done, I'm grateful for it because you sound great, and you've also spoken wonderfully, uh, Nigel. It's been a a real pleasure uh, talking to you. Thank you for taking the time. You're welcome, Simon. Thanks. See you soon.